Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Chris Whittingham here until 10 o'clock on 560 WQAM time I was on with our producer, Danny G, the Sports Bomber, we had the Westbrook trade happen in the middle of the show, so hopefully we are the precursor or thing that makes the breaking news machine happen so that you, the listener, can enjoy us frantically try and figure out how we're going to do an hour and 20 minutes of radio with something that we were not expecting in a million years. If I said to you before that show started, Danny, that it would be Russell Westbrook to the Rockets that happened during the show, the Rockets. I just I could have never anticipated that. That wasn't in even like the closest realm of comprehension I could have come up with. Uh, I would have never guessed that that particular thing would have happened. Just Russell Westbrook being traded during the show. I gave that maybe about a, like a five percent chance happening because I figured that'd be a week away. Right, and and then it happened in the middle of the show, and it was uh, it was astounding. Uh, and we were just sort of talking through it. That was basically just the show was us talking through it uh, for an hour and twenty minutes. But I don't normally like I normally like to sort of build out a show where you know we go from beginning to end and most important to you know maybe by the end we're you know off the beaten path a little bit. But I actually want to start off the beaten path a little bit because uh, the last story that I read before I came in was actually a couple of days old. But I just I, I cannot believe the gall of the National Football League. So for those of you that don't know, the Wall Street Journal reported that the NFL is so desperate to get to 18 regular season games that the league has advanced the possibility of an 18-game season with a player limit, a per-player limit of 16 games, meaning that each player would have to miss by requirement, two games a year to assuage player safety concerns. This is an actual idea that comes out of the NFL. Now, I'm normally one where I like the kooky ideas. I like the ideas that you come up with when you're at a bar, you go fix football and let's come up with ideas. You go, what if we had an 18-game season, but the players only played 16 so we can have that aspect of it figured out we get more money to the players and they're playing the same amount well i mean who, who wouldn't be down with this and i, I heard uh, dan levitard on the radio make a great point which was this is probably the nfl trying to get some more tv rights deals another package maybe it's just one week is only on amazon prime or one week is only on apple tv or one week is only on netflix or one week is only on whatever and so this is another way to add to television dollars and ultimately. The greed of the NFL is, is what motivates them. They don't they don't get uh, you know savvy and idea driven when it's fixing things like I don't know what if they invested a hundred million dollars into coming up with a helmet that can solve concussions right 
or coming up with a, a scientific way to fix concussions. No, instead, we're going to pay lawyers a bunch of money to make it seem like it didn't happen. And that's generally where the so forward thinking comes in the advancement of making more money, not spending money on things that don't make them money. And so that for me is the NFL in a nutshell. And when you look at this idea, it's insane, it's stupid, but to me, it shows a fundamental lack of understanding at league level of what makes the NFL so popular. Because if the NFL had its way, right? If the human body was not so susceptible to pain and snapping in half, we'd have a 48-week regular season, four weeks of playoffs, and we'd start the regular season the following week. There would be no offseason. There'd be football the whole year round. That, if they had their way, that's what they would do. But what they don't realize, the NFL, is that their success they it, it, to me the funniest thing that people say to me when i say that the nba season should be 58 games and the baseball season should be 100 and the hockey season should be 58 and that everything can afford to be shorter everything people go well where are you going to make up the money and my response is where does the nfl make up the money they have a fifth as many games as basketball a tenth as many games as baseball and they're Five times the economic driver, right? They make so much money, and it's because they only have 16 games, not because they should have more. To me, the more you add of things, the sort of less accessible you make it. The reason why basketball doesn't have the popularity that football does is because, to me, you can boil it down to this concern. If you wanted to watch, Every single Miami Heat game. That's sometimes four games a week. That's sometimes twice in two nights. I mean, back-to-backs are not just for players, they're for fans, too. Where Sometimes you're asked to go to two, two games in two nights and carve out a Tuesday and a Wednesday night. Carve out your Friday night. Carve out your Saturday night. Carve out your Sunday afternoon. Every single week. I'm not saying in a row, but I'm saying over the course of a year, you're asking every week, for a fan to have Saturday nights available to sit down in front of the television. And again, this is under the presumption that you want all of your fans to watch every game. Over the course of the year, I'd love to know from the television ratings data because there's an average of what each basketball game gets on television, but how many are those the same people every night? I imagine there are a lot of people in our audience that watch 15 Heat games a year, 20 Heat games a year, but ultimately there will be nights where you don't realize there's a game happening until the ESPN notification goes off on your phone or whatever app it is you subscribe to, and you go, oh, the Heat are playing tonight. But I already have dinner plans. I already have, you know, to go to my kid's baseball game I like it, or, or, or whatever. And so you're just not going to watch every game. Whereas the NFL asks of you every year 48 hours. That's all it asks of you. Three hours. Once a week, every Sunday, the odd Thursday night, the odd Sunday night, the odd Monday night, maybe a holiday here and there, maybe a Saturday towards the end of the year. But for the most part, the Dolphins next year, because they're not going to be on national television a bunch, are asking of you three hours every Sunday at one o'clock. And that's it. And so if you, the Miami Dolphins fan, 
Not, you don't have to watch every preseason game, although a lot of you do. You don't have to listen to all the talk shows that we very much appreciate that you do here at WQAM. But if you wanted to see every team's game, or I'm sorry, every game of your team, all it requires of you is 48 hours. And even then, sometimes it's hard because it's a weekend day. You know, you got family functions and all that, but you're, you're always figuring out a way to get near the game. The television ratings prove it. And so this is the NFL's strength, is that they are serving up a product where its fans can consume all of it. And then once it's done, right, once the football season is done, even people down here, right, that, I mean, the Dolphins don't have the most promising outlook heading into 2019, but people are still counting down the days until the start of the NFL season. And the only reason why they can is because the sport is so violent and so painful that the human body simply cannot take more football. They have decided that the human limit on football, by virtue of this Wall Street Journal piece, where again, they're proposing an 18-game regular season with the players only playing in 16 of them. They've decided that 16 regular season games is the maximum that we can force our players to play, where, and that is the tipping point. If we played 17, that is too many because the body simply won't allow it or the players' union won't allow it. But 16 is the limit. And then, presuming you get to the Super Bowl via the wild card round, four extra playoff games. So 20 games is the maximum that we can play of competitive NFL football before the body breaks. Because again, if the owners, would ha- if the owners had their way, they'd do this every weekend. Because that's ultimately the greed in this, is that you can never turn down free money. It's free. I, I'm, I'm handing it to you. I'm not saying have vision and realize that your strength is in your scarcity. Scarcity is such a valuable thing in the whole of business. If there's less of it available, what exists is more valuable. And so, again, if you wanted to be a fan of the Miami Marlins and watch every game, that's 20 hours a week. Maybe more, maybe less. But let's say on average, let's say on average there's one rest day a week. Let's say each game takes about three hours and ten minutes. It's about 20 hours a week that I'm asking of you every week for six months. It's impossible. There simply isn't a way that you can watch every baseball game. There isn't a way you can watch every basketball game without totally building your life around it. And look, for most of you, this is a hobby, right? For Mike Inglis, who calls the game, he's paid to sit there and commentate the games. And and I'm sure he loves it, but that's his job. His job is to be at every game. It's not your job, the listener, to watch every Miami Heat game. You don't have to. It's your hobby. You like this. You really like basketball. And so you sit down and you watch it. But football, even the collegiate game, the collegiate game grows. There's 12 games. Maybe your team gets to the playoff via conference championship game. The maximum I'm asking of you for your college football season is 15 games, and they last, let's say, three hours and 15 minutes on average. Maybe 50 hours a season I'm asking of you to watch every game, every minute of every game. 50 hours. And that is the genius in the business model. The genius is that ultimately, not only am I not asking a lot of you, 
and you can make the time to watch all of it, be all-consuming. It'd be like if you were a Game of Thrones fan, but because of time and and Game of Thrones had one, you know, one alternate uh, universe where there were ten one-hour episodes in each season, and so in total, the show takes about eh, 85, 90 hours to watch. And I had another one where each season was 50 episodes, each an hour, and you know what? You just didn't have time for, uh, you know, season two, episode 29, and so you missed the uh, the arc where Daenerys Targaryen does something. I don't know. I'm 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 actually only just starting the watch now, and I'm like a season and a half into it, so I don't know all the all the narrative arcs of Game of Thrones. But my point is, is that you you have gaps because you didn't see all the games. Because how could you? Think the ask is ludicrous, and so the genius of the NFL is not only do they not ask a lot of you, but then you eagerly anticipate when it returns, and so the fact that they want to add more to it is a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes their business strong. And that if they started to add, I really think that, okay, what's another seven hours? But ultimately, it's the asking of more, of more of your fans. And eventually, the more you add, the more people will check out on all of it, right? And so there is a fine line between, okay, you got to go to basketball owners and say, give up 12 home games a year to make the interest in your sport increase Okay, but you have you've given me money, but I'm telling you that as a means of guarantee, I can guarantee you in the long run, people will be more interested in your sport. Therefore, you can command higher media rights fees. Therefore, you can command higher sponsorship fees, and there and therefore you have a business in the NFL. The NFL has no right on only having 16 games a year compared to baseball's 160 to make more money than baseball does, and yet. It's our biggest sport. It's our most popular game because, again, it doesn't ask much of you. And it, it builds anticipation, right? Has there ever been a baseball game played in a non-playoff setting that you felt a sense of anticipation? You feel the sense of anticipation for opening day. But the difference between baseball and the NFL is opening day happens, and then the next day there's a game, whereas in the NFL, the next game doesn't happen for another week. And you feel the same sense of anticipation when that game kicks off as you felt when the first game kicked off. And then when the season ends, you have to wait. Dolphins fans will have waited nine months for the season to start. Nine months. And if you're a rabid Dolphins fan that loves NFL football, I mean, it it feels like eternity. I remember every year when the Pro Bowl used to be after the Super Bowl. It's not like that anymore. Yeah, it's, it's the week before where the Pro Bowl happened after the Super Bowl, and you watched the Pro Bowl because you were not smart enough yet to realize it was a crap football game. You watched the Pro Bowl, and you went, man, football's gone for seven months. What are we going to do for these seven months where football's gone? My dad and me, when we were kid, when I was young, yeah. we would watch the Pro Bowl. This was back in the 90s. We would go to Fuddruckers to watch the Pro Bowl <laughs> every year. And literally, we would be like our our, our, our season in review, yeah. our wrap-up, and we'd be like, man, we'd be watching it on TV. Like, man, it's going to be gone now for like months. Seven months. And then, but, but, but then back then, remember, there was no internet. There was no NFL network. Yeah. So literally, I would scan the pages of the Miami Herald for any little, even if it was like a small NFL yes. transaction note in teletype, like in the back. <laughs> like in- you're, you're so right. I mean, even now, I mean, think of the fact that sports bars... 
I'll walk into a sports bar in May. And it enrages me, but I get it, where they have the NFL Network on in May. What is there to watch on the NFL Network in May? The NFL Network should go dark in May. But people are so into the sport, again, as you said, craving a morsel of information, where they, they will do anything for NFL football to return. And people will say, right now, if we did a poll on social media, if I gave you the choice, would you rather have 18 football games or 16 football games? People every time would choose 18. If I said you could have an NFL game every Sunday, you'd say, yeah, you'd sign up for it immediately because that's your favorite sport. Absolutely. But at a certain point, that will reduce the broader interest in the sport because, again, the NFL draws in sports fans who aren't sports fans, a game-in, game-out sports fan of other sports because it's not a commitment. Or a big one, right, relative to what other sports are. We are, everyone who's listening, by virtue of the, the fact that you are so interested in sports that you flipped on this radio station, we are so interested in sports that we can do sports that are 82 games a year, 160 games a year, because we love this so much. But ultimately, the reason why it is our biggest game and commands such big of audience is because it reaches outside of us rabid sports fan that are listening to WQIM and watching ESPN and NFL Network, craving every morsel of information because we are so desperate for information about this sport. But in the end, the sport is built and the business model is built on drawing everyone. Everyone's a fan of the NFL. I I don't mean everyone. A majority of people aren't, actually. But relative to sports fandom, everyone is because it's not a commitment. And the NFL desperately seeking 18 games because it's going to grow their cash flow in the now. Don't realize that their cash flow is now built on the back of only having 16 games and making this easy for fans. We're back after this. WQM here until 10 o'clock tonight. It's prominently features. I have, uh, so I'm a, I'm a dork with everything in my life, but uh, on Spotify, I have separated uh, all of my uh, music into like different categories. So like I have like, you know, genres and, and, you know, decades and everything. So this, this would be a prominent feature. I have it, I have it in my Spotify as the aughts. My aughts playlist. High, high the, rotation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Absolutely love this song. Uh, I just want to uh, point something out because uh, these pictures are filling my Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook feeds. Do you realize that you, are you, the listening audience, are giving an app your face? Do, like, do, do people realize? So are, are you familiar with this face app, Danny? Is, yeah, is it the thing where everybody's been making themselves look old now? Correct, yeah. So everyone makes themselves 50 years older. And so I was having a conversation with our boss, Len, today. And he goes, yeah, one of the sales guys put me in the thing. And it's this app where you take a picture of your face and it makes it like sort of transforms your hair and your facial features into 50 years from now. Here's what people seem to be missing. You're giving them your face. This is this is technological. 
that like th- this is like facial recognition is a technological frontier that a lot of companies are working towards. They want to have a database of all of our faces so they can do stuff with it so that you can sell your face so that a you know a data company can sell your face to a company that wants to i don't know market you or recognize you somewhere or keep a keep a database of our faces i mean if we don't think that for example the way that we browse on the internet is going to really ultimately affect our lives that much but have you noticed your ads of course your ads are all on the basis of what you've done it is immensely valuable data that Amazon has on your shopping habits so they can cultivate advertisements for you without you even realizing, oh, I would quite like that. There's an, there's an ad that I get all the time on Instagram for, uh, for like, a, like a brand of shorts. Like, that looks really nice. And I, it has to be based off of whatever my browsing history is or whatever like things I like on Instagram. Like everything that you do online, on your phone, on the internet, on a desktop – it's all data that's being collected on you. And if you don't think your face is valuable data for someone to collect, you're insane. And so for me, the face app is a, you being able to put out your picture on social media of what you look like 50 years older is some company collecting your face. Like, like to me, it's it's crazy to me that people don't realize what that is. Well, it's the algorithm, man. That's basically what they do. They try to collect the information on you, and of course, just, and it's just the weird little things because things that you don't really think are connected end up being connected from one from one app to the other. Like, of course, I, I have a YouTube sign in. You know, I, mm-hmm. I post YouTube videos and things mm-hmm. of that nature. But then I also have like a Netflix sign in, but it's not really my Netflix sign in. It's my mother's, so I kind of piggyback off her Netflix yeah. account. So whatever. So I, I started watching, like, Arrested Development on there. Mind you, I have never gone to YouTube and said, I like Arrested Development in any way, shape, or form. All of a sudden, my YouTube my YouTube, my YouTube YouTube recommendations mm-hmm. loaded with, oh, you want to know about Arrested Development? Here's some cast stories. The yeah, yeah, yeah. here's some outtakes. Here's some outtakes. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I'm yeah. like, I didn't even, like, I, I went on my mother's YouTube thing. Yeah, or your ne- Netflix, Netflix account. On my mother's Netflix account yeah. to watch Arrested Development. And now on my YouTube, they're throwing it at me. That's how serious, like, the mm-hmm. algorithm is. And, and the other one is the location. Whenever, whenever your computer tells you to check in somewhere or it says, mm-hmm. hey, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to, learn on your location app they want to know where you're going and what you are doing yeah and, <laughs> and try and track your data to use it for something and again it at the moment it's harmless right at the moment it's you're being advertised stuff that's essentially what it is is youtube wants to keep you on youtube longer so they can put more ads in front of your face and so they think by creating a home page of 10 videos that they think you'll like that you'll start on one and then on the right will be recommended more and then some of them will autoplay and so like oh you like this let me just go ahead and start in 10 seconds this next one for you that that we that we think will interest you in between we'll show you an ad and so all this stuff and look i'm not trying to be conspiracy theorist that the technology is all going to take us down i'm generally pro technology i use technology hell i use face id on my phone i probably shouldn't but I kind of like it. You know, you use your face to, to log in. Maybe some, some guy can beat me up and get access to my phone using Face ID. Uh, that's the risk I take. And so I'm not saying I'm a purist about this stuff, but guys, 
for some likes on Instagram, for some likes on Facebook, for some likes on Twitter, don't give an app your face. It's the one thing that you got that is your private information. And I am certain, 100% certain that this face app is trying to do something with facial recognition, whether it's sell the data to companies who are looking for that or, or something like that. Just get a collage of faces, a library of faces that they're building to do something with. And I just want to answer this one texter who's, who's actually there's more than one texter here who keeps basically saying that, you know, your face is already on Facebook. You know, we're already there, bro, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, no, no. Here's the, here's the difference for people who understand computers. There's a big difference between posting your face, like like a picture of you on yeah. Facebook. It's another matter entirely when you run the Face app because what the Face app does is it takes the dimensions yeah. of it, like the full 3D of it, like you're in. Like like, like, like when you watch Mission Impossible exactly. and Tom Cruise goes up to a facial recognition software and it recognizes the contours of his face that allows him to walk in somewhere. Yeah, a computer can't look at a picture A and mm-hmm. picture B and say picture A is a B and picture C is a wrench. You know, it, it, they, you, what, what facial okay, recognition? I, I will say, now, here's another horrifying thing. So, my mom took all the pictures off her computer and basically wanted to upload them to the cloud. And so, she ran them all on Google Photos. And so, on Google Photos, um, it can, it, it, so you put all, let's say you put 10,000 pictures in, and it works around the clock and around the clock, and it will create folders for you of here are all of your pictures with this person, here are all of your pictures with this person, and create hundreds of folders of here are all the pictures that involve these people. And so, it, like, that is getting somewhere. It's not 100% perfect, but it's no. actually it's actually quite remarkable, though, how accurate that's. Like, I went through, like, holy crap, like, these are, you know, like, that that that's all the pictures of my grandmother in one folder. And so, again, ultimately, and even if Facebook has your face already, they're not going to, I mean, they could sell it to somebody else. They more likely want to keep it for themselves. That's their proprietary information that you've given them. The more apps and the more people that you give your face, the more likely you, you the more likely you are to have that stuff stolen and maybe even end up in the wrong hands. Hell, our election was swung on things like this. Data that we didn't know was being exchanged that ultimately ended up being exchanged to the to a company that used it for political purposes. And so that like all that stuff for me, be very careful. Be very careful with your Amazon Alexa. We've already seen Amazon Alexas be submitted as evidence because they're, the microphone was rolling the whole time. There was a story, I don't know if you know this, Danny, that La Liga, the Spanish domestic league um, where Real Madrid and Barcelona play every week, um, got caught with their app without even... So generally when apps want access to your microphone, you have to ask for it. And so Instagram has access to your microphone. More on that in a moment. Like if you want to put together like an Insta story or upload a video using the app, you've got to give it access to your microphone or else your video won't have any sound. And so the microphone can sometimes listen to what you're doing. So La Liga used the app that people downloaded and illegally used the microphones on it to catch bars streaming La Liga matches illegally. And, and they, wow. they were using the microphone to realize, okay, this person is here and they're hearing this sound. That's not supposed to be that way. And they're collecting a database of bars and restaurants that are illegally using 
or illegally streaming La Liga broadcast without having correctly paid for it. And they had to apologize to all their users because they were caught and the news media reported on it. And they had to apologize because they illegally used the microphones on everyone's phone to try and catch piracy of people streaming La Liga games. And so don't be surprised when this stuff happens to you. Oh, no, it happens all the time. We ran a story at CBS4, I want to say um, six months ago, about a guy who was basically having an argument or, you know, or a heated conversation, whatever, yeah. with his wife in Colorado in the same room where their Alexa was. And they sent the conversation ended up in, in at his employee's house who lived in Portland. So he basically worked under him, you no know, mm-hmm. contracts or whatever. So all of a sudden, this guy, you know, is, is he gets he gets a conversation of his boss having an argument with his wife, and he calls his boss and he's like, "Hey, you know, you got to be careful with your Alexa. I got this argument." They're like, "No, you didn't." And the guy literally said, "This is what you guys were arguing about." Blah 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 blah. Alexa picked up the argument and sent it by mistake, obviously, to somebody to somebody there. So yeah. where was that argument going that it was being recorded in the first place, and who was it being sent to? Is really the interesting part to me. Yeah, and for me. These this face app, Amazon Alexa's Instagram for me might be the worst violator. Like I genuinely think that by giving them access to your microphone, that like it will it knows some things about you and it recommends ads to you and all this stuff happens by virtue of them having the microphone access. And look, we've already already crossed the Rubicon of giving away your data and your privacy. I mean that Rubicon has been crossed. It's so valuable to tech companies that they're going to find ways to get to it, but. Don't just give it away. Don't just give it away. Make them work for it. Make the make Facebook work for your face. Don't just give it to them. Come on, people. We're back talking sports after this. Chris Winningham here on WQAM until 10 o'clock tonight. We'll talk to Ira Winderman at 8 o'clock. It's Miami Heat basketball. As we've now had the calm of the NBA offseason coming to a conclusion, although Chris Paul thing is still out there. It's probably the last thing that's left to be. It's, it's funny, the Heat have been involved in the last thing to be decided, so you still uh, get to talk about Heat-related things as we approach season. Actually, I, I wanted to talk about that here. I also want to get to... Uh, Hawk and Crowder's discussion about Eric Spolstra and uh, his value uh, relative to the rest of the NBA because I still don't know where I sit on that because Hawk is sort of putting me through these tests where he goes, would you trade Eric Spolstra for John Morant? And I said, yes. And then he said, would you trade Eric Spolstra for Tyler Hero? And I said, no. So I guess it's like if you give me a top five pick, but even then, if you ask me, would you trade Eric Spolstra for RJ Barrett? I think I'd say no. because. I, I, to me, he's more of a sustainable part of what makes the Heat successful than any one player is, and that they win games, at least in part because they develop players under his coaching staff to a level where Derek Jones Jr. and Tyler Johnson and James Johnson and Deion Waiters, and uh, look, you, you might think you might not think those guys are valuable now, but at one point on an open market, they were worth, you know, $50 million. Like, the Heat have a pattern of creating players Let's just have a discussion now. We'll get to Chris Paul in 15 minutes. He'd have a pattern of creating players from which 
there was nothing, right? And that's actually, to me, one of the infuriating parts of watching them give away draft picks is because they have now a pattern of, of drafting guys and developing guys that are key parts of their team, right? So you, you hit the Winslow pick, you hit the Bam pick, and you hit the Josh Richardson pick, and that's been your three guys, your three young guys that are solid NBA-level players when a lot of teams don't hit like that, in the, you know, even in the latter lottery stages. And so, for me, I just think that the Heat are so good at developing players, taking diamonds in the rough and turning them into something, that I think they should continue to pursue that as something that they can exceed. And imagine if they started with top five level talent in the draft and then, you know, drafted and developed and, and developed those guys. To me, that is a skill that Eric Spolster is obviously good at. Don't you find it ironic that the worst pick the Miami Heat have made has been the pick that they've had the highest selection? What, Beasley? Yeah. Yeah. Probably, yeah. I mean, that's... It, well, I, I would presume in an expansion draft they drafted you the first or second. But again, well, no, I that's... Mean just in the, right, re- right, in, in the recent era. In, in the Riley era, you know, it's Wade to five overall and Beasley two overall. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider that that draft, like, I think Russell Westbrook was two picks later. Yes. Like, you could have drafted Russell or, Westbrook. Or but, Kevin Love. Right, or Kevin Love. And I, there are other quality players in that draft. Luke Lopez. Yeah, I mean, Derek Rose, obviously, you know, was the one you were bummed uh, to have not gotten. Yeah, Lopez went 10th, Roy Hibbert went 17th. Even Danilo Gallinari has had a good NBA career. A better, much better one than Michael Beasley did. But, I mean, it's funny because the... One through five is bookended by Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love, and in the middle is Michael Beasley and O.J. Mayo. That's a draft, right? Um, But yeah, I mean, you also have to understand, though, that to me, the Heat are more equipped now to handle a draft pick than they were when they drafted Michael Beasley. It was still a Pat Riley organization. Eric Spolster had just taken over and hadn't really installed his coaching staff, which is clearly now a draft and development coaching staff. They have a draft and development G League team that is helping them develop guys to that next level. And so this organization has transitioned from, and what's funny is that in that draft, they got Mario Chalmers, uh, 34 overall, who ended up having the better NBA career. Um, But when it comes to this organization, they're good at developing players now, and that's all a credit to the coach. And so to me, a coach who can take an 11 and 30 team and have them play 30 and 11 is... That's that's about coaching and what he did in that season from a tactical point of view to get them playing, and that's why people have such immense respect for him. And yet, to me, there are a couple of other sides to Eric Spolstra. For example, this past season, that I I, I didn't think it was a good coaching job. I, I I think that Eric Spolstra did a poor job last year. And look, there was stasis on the roster. It's hard to get better when you don't try and get better by signing players and adding players. They were stuck really only to make moves to get under the luxury tax. They didn't make the Jimmy Butler trade, and then, you know, that has players included in trade talks that then it it can affect their season, which I think it did. I think, I mean, it did for Anthony Davis. It does around the league. When there's trade rumors out there, it's why the Heat don't want it out there because they know they can affect their team if it gets out. And so that's difficult. It's also difficult um, to deal with... Guys getting hurt and being in and out and not able to improve when you haven't really added anybody. And so Eric Spolster had some excuses. But in the end, the fact that the Miami Heat were worse than Detroit and worse than Orlando over 82 games last year is an indictment of Eric Spolstra. Because 
They had won 44 games or whatever the year before. They hadn't dramatically changed. As a matter of fact, they had Dwayne Wade for a full year as opposed to only 30 games of it. And I thought, when I was making fun of them a year ago, because Heat fans are, you know, whenever the Dolphins start losing, oh, it's time for Heat season now. And I'm going, really? You're getting excited about the 44 and 38 we're about to have? And it was worse than that. And so the Heat actually fell below. I, I didn't think there was a chance they were below 500, much less out of the playoffs in that Eastern Conference. Eric Spolster deserves blame for that. Well, you can blame Eric Spolster for that, but... I, I see it more as just a re- re- regression to the mean. Like right. In the, like, in, in the end, that team was never that good. Agreed. He got them. He got them. And you can only sustain Correct. players playing at that high a level for so long. Correct. To me, in some respects, I'm dinging him for expectations that he creates. Because they won, they, they won 41 games and then 44 games. And I'm going, okay, at worst, they're going to be the same. I thought they were going to be exactly the same, and they took a step back. So in some respects, I, I could be harsh, because I have said that, to me, the Heat are just the Orlando, Mag- the, the Orlando Magic's players wearing Miami Heat uniforms, right? That if the Orlando Magic, if the Orlando Magic was Goran Dragic, James Johnson, Deion Waiters, Hassan Whiteside, and all the guys that play for them, you'd expect them to win 35 games and be a pretty pedestrian and mediocre team. So, in no, respects, not even. If I, I would, I would go a step further than that. I would say if you take that Heat roster and put yeah. it on like the Orlando Magic or any other team without yeah. like, without the coach and without the organization, you're talking about a top three lottery team. I don't know about that, but yeah, I mean, you, you can make that argument. You can absolutely make that argument that it's an utterly pedestrian team without any superstars, without any chance of getting better. Like, to me, that's like a 32-33 win team somewhere else. And so, in some respects, Spolstra creates the expectation that I felt disappointed about last year's season. The other thing to me, too, that when people say, because ultimately the argument starts from Dan Dockett saying, what have you won without the big three? And even with the big three, a lot of coaches could have won two championships with the big three. And as a matter of fact, I think you can go a step further. I think 2011, they lose the NBA Finals to the Dallas Mavericks, who were objectively the less talented team. I mean, if you go back and look at that team that they lost to in those finals, it was not... The, it was not the heights. Of, it's it's actually when people say that the Detroit Pistons are the last surprise winner of the NBA. To me, it's more the 2011 Dallas Mavericks that are more the last surprise winner uh, in the NBA. If you go back and look in the postseason, the guys that played Dirk Nowitzki at 32 when people thought he was post prime. Uh, and this is in terms of minutes, minutes played per game. 37 year old Jason Kidd. 32-year-old Sean Marion, 33-year-old Jason Terry, Tyson Chandler, admittedly in his prime at 28, J.J. Barea, Peja Stojakovic, Deshaun Stevenson, Brendan Haywood were the guys that played for that team. That is not superstar-laden. That is not a team that you would think would win a championship, right? Yes, no, no, it, of it, it, not. It's a strong playoff. To me, it's like equivalent to what Portland is now or what Utah is now. And so the Heat, with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, lost to a team that I think a lot of people thought Dirk Nowitzki was post-prime at that point. That Dirk, that Dirk Nowitzki at 32 was not the guy that he was even three years before that. And so as the less talented team, they lost in the finals. That's kind of a ding against the coach, even as LeBron James melted down, right? LeBron James melted down Sitting in that, under the bucket. Right. And and that is ultimately the reason that they lost those finals. But at the same time, you have to say that the coach ultimately lost with the more talented team. And that is, in theory, a ding on a resume. Well, I can agree with you on that. But at the same time, I was talking about this with Kevin Rogers yesterday and 
let's not let's at least we forget the coach of the Dallas Maverick is what the Dallas yeah. Mavericks is one of the few guys in the NBA that I would say is a is a better coach than Eric Spolster and Rick Carlisle. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you talk about like who would be your top five coaches in the NBA right now, I'm I guarantee Rick Carlisle's gotta be on that list. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of guys that are sort of floating in around that conversation, but Carlisle is always in there. Yeah, I mean, Rick Carlisle in those in that postseason in particular was exceptional to 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 get the Dallas Mavericks to win a championship with that team. And then in 2014, this is the debatable one to me in terms of who was the more talented team. Again, you have LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, and you're going in that finals up against Kawhi Leonard before Kawhi Leonard was Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he was incredible in that series but in those postseason if you can believe this the year that san antonio won the title in 2014 with Kawhi leonard he was 22 and he only averaged 14 points a game in the postseason that's not at all resembling the guy that he is now where to me if you said right now who who holds the best player in the nba championship belt it's Kawhi leonard um but 37 year old tim duncan 31-year-old Tony Parker, 36-year-old Manu Ginobili. So that's those are all post-prime, those guys. Boris Diod, 31, sort of ascending Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Tiago Splitter, Marco Bellinelli. You can make the argument that Miami was a more talented team in that 2014 finals by virtue of having peak LeBron James. Like, alone, much less Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, even in, even in the physical state that he was in. So again, that finals, if you remember, Spurs smoked the Heat. They were like so far and away the better team, and it was in the basis of their style and the and the manner in which they executed at the very highest level. And again, another great coach, Greg Popovich, but he undressed Eric Spolster for me in games three, four, and five of those series. And so, and 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 that's harsh to say, but to me, Eric Spolster sort of has both demerits and credits. Where I'm going. Okay, I think, you know, Sedano making the argument of he's definitely top two, that's a bit much. But the people that are going, he hasn't done any, like, I actually think the big three has almost nothing to do with the the caliber of coach that he is. I think it's more what's happened, which bookended those seasons that I think is actually the most impressive part of his resume. And, it, and it's never come anywhere near winning a championship. Like, to me, you don't go where Eric Spolster can't win the championship because he didn't have his, yeah, no coach could. But at the same time, I think that Eric Spolster gets unfairly dinged for only having the reputation nationally of winning championships with this great team. But for me, even within that big three, there are some flaws there. But I, I still think that Eric Spolster is a great coach for what you'd want from a coach, which is ultimately getting the best out of whatever group is in front of him. And I think that's Eric Spolster's greatest skill and arguably okay, you know, Greg Popovich has won 50 games in the NBA for 20 years. I think he's only been, like, under 500 a total of, like, 73 days or something like that. Some, it's ludicrous stat. Um, but for me, Eric Spolstra deserves a ton of credit. I don't know about second-best coach in the NBA, and ultimately I fall in the middle, which is the wrong place to be in sports radio. Chris Whittingham here until 10. We're back after this. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.